This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. On part eight of Leaders in Product Security, Rohit Sethi, CEO at Security Compass, is joined by Matthew Bone. Matthew is a Vice President and Chief Product Security Officer for Honeywell Corporation. He is responsible for leading the product cybersecurity and privacy program and strategy for Honeywell. He leads a global team of talented security professionals who use a secure by design and by default approach to enhance the security in the products we sell to our customers. Matthew has more than 17 years of experience developing and leading global product cybersecurity programs and teams in the industrial, oil and gas, buildings, consumer, nuclear, and pharmaceutical sectors. He is a sought after speaker on cybersecurity and is active in the development of the ISA slash IEC global cybersecurity standards for industrial and nuclear systems. Hey, well, thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a great opportunity to, to speak about a topic that I'm near and dear to me and I'm very passionate about. For sure. Well, let's let's start with the basics of where you how you got into this. Can you tell us how you got into product security? Yeah, sure. Like many in our space, I've always had a passion for cybersecurity and my my career started up in the sort of IT slash development world and evolved into engineering and software product development. You know, that lifestyle change for me personally happened when I was working at G Nuclear and became more and more engaged by it. We had an engineering team that was developing the cybersecurity program for their, their reactor business. And I was getting drawn in to, to help lead that development of their cybersecurity architecture for their next generation power plants, nuclear power plants. Um, that was one of the most you know, rewarding experiences, frankly, of my career as I work with industry experts and regulators to develop a cybersecurity program for, for nuclear, new nuclear power plants. And, and frankly, I was hooked. And, and from there on, I, I went on to use some of the same concepts and ideas to improve other industries like oil and gas, aviation, and, and really went on and, and, and leveraged this across lots of different critical infrastructure. Pretty interesting. It's quite the background. So talking about where you are now, given the wide breadth of Honeywell's lines of business, you have probably one of the broadest product security por portfolios out there. Tell me how you handle product security at such a huge scale. You know, I, I, I had to think a lot about this because to me, it sort of boils down to some really clear things. And it's, it's about really about having great people and having a very clear common mission and vision, which at its core is all about inclusiveness, partnership, and education. Uh, my global team supports literally hundreds of thousands of products written in many different programming languages on thousands of different firmwares, hundreds of chips, all developed by literally thousands of, of developers. Um, the only way that can work is by ensuring the developers themselves understand and value the importance of cybersecurity as part of their day job, right? And that they see themselves as responsible for developing secure products. My team partners with the development community by ensuring they're trained well. Second, that our teams are really there to help them succeed and release the product securely on time. That's a key point there. And lastly, to be experts that they can draw on to help secure the products themselves and test the security and, and make sure that those things have been thoughtfully secure all the way through that life cycle. 
And that last part about it is it's not just testing, but it's the collaboration where we work to inform and grow our peers in the development community to help make sure they're thoughtfully thinking about not just the software they're building today, but the next generation, the next version. It's that deep partnership, as I see it, is really the critical part of our success in scale. Interesting. That's a lot to unpack there. You talked about some of the different lines of business and um, just the, the local expertise that you need. Another dimension here is geography. How does product security need needs and programs, how do they differ by guidance, sorry, by geography? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, in years past, it's you know, that's really not the case, right? Uh, now, I see more and more countries establishing their own cyber and, and privacy regulations from everything from sort of IoT, IOT to cloud. And all are subtly different and frankly, different enough that it, it's becoming increasingly difficult to have just like one solution. You know, a great example I, I, I would point out is like GDPR. That's an excellent baseline, a great solution. You'd think other countries would you know, leverage it, embrace it. And while many have, some have created subtle but distinct differences in places such as China and Middle East. Even in the US, lacking a federal policy around privacy, the states started developing their own privacy laws and IoT laws, which while having a common genome of, of protecting privacy and it being just different enough that by state to state, and the results in having to build subtle features into your products and solutions to account for these geographical sort of requirements and, and differences. And frankly, over the coming years, I think we'll see a lot more of this mm. as more and more companies think about what I think of as, as data sovereignty. And I want to keep that, you know, that in, in people's minds, because I, I think more and more countries are, are thinking, hey, I want to keep my data inside the country inside my boundaries. I wanna apply my own country specific laws to that data. And I think you're gonna see more and more countries moving towards that. Like I said, I think we're only now just starting to see that trend. And I think more and more is being drafted in, in many different countries right now. I do think standards can help minimize these differences, especially as governments become more aware and supportive of those standards. Yeah, it's it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem depending on what perspective you have. But I'd say, you know, if you're building something and you operate at the global scale, the complexity just seems to increase. So it's an interesting, you know, proposal. I guess you could say that uh, that standards could really help to align across you know different geographic uh, boundaries. Along those lines, one such standard, at least from a you know overall holistic security perspective in the IIoT space, is the ISA slash IEC six two four four three, and you're a key contributor to that. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and how you think it will impact product security more broadly. Sure. Yeah. As I learned early on in, in my career, that there was a gap in, in how companies and, and people were thinking about cyber and, and the physical world. And there were other things that were just starting on, on, on the cusp of things with ISA 99 and, and, and frankly, 62443 hadn't started yet. And, and as, as people started looking at sort of the automation world and the industrial world, 
that's where 62443 really, you know, came into its own and it was through ISA 99 and others. And, and it was like, ah, this is a, a, the way that companies can, you know, largely think about how to make products more secure. As I became more and more familiar with 62443, I, I realized it could be um, used more broadly in other industries. A great example is IoT and IIoT. The concepts from this center are excellent starting point for many of these devices like that you might use in your home or, or in a building or frankly in, in facilities, you know, power grid. Um, and if you're building these types of devices that, that help control or automate these functions and, and you lack clarity on, on what good cybersecurity is, because maybe in your industry they don't have a standard, then, and, then you should consider 62443. It's a good starting point. Sure, there may be other, other standards out there, but I find that this is one of the best ones for sort of breaching that conversation about the, the sort of physical security and, and the, the reality of, of the digital security side. Um, and I, frankly, I see more and more adopting this commercial standard globally, especially governments, as a search for ways to, to drive that sort of basic cyber practice into the digital infrastructure and automation that, that run their countries and, and frankly, their citizens' lives. You know, this is also one of those reasons where why I, I decided to lead the effort for Honeywell to be one of the founding members for a group called ISA Global Cybersecurity Alliance, along with uh, a few others in, in, in our space and other industries. You know, now more than ever, Alliances like the ISA, GCA are great ways for companies and cyber communities to come together and to help, you know, not just in my company, but, but lots of different other companies. We all can come together and help drive these best practices around the globe, right? Already, ISA, GCA has, has many different corporate members. You know, you've got Schneider Electric, Rockwell. And they're great partners with us all working together to try and make the world a better place, a more secure place using common commercial standards. And, and we, like I said, we made some great progress in this space. And one of the things that we all sort of come at this is we see this concept is cyber is a team sport. And we're not going to do this all alone. And it's going to re require all of us driving together and using standards like this and, and communities like ISHGCA to help build a, a, a common way for people to think about good cybersecurity. Yeah, you know, I, I point a lot of people to ISA 62443 because I think that sometimes the exposure outside of the, uh, I'll say, physical world um, has been limited, although I think that's changing. And it's interesting. There are a lot of cybersecurity frameworks in a really broad, holistic sense of the of, of the word. Yeah. For example, a lot of companies adopt, say, the NIST cybersecurity framework, and it's a great framework for mm -hmm. a certain kind of goal, right? Enterprise security. And what what I think a lot of companies don't have today is a similar framework way of thinking about product security. And and I agree. There's not a lot like six two four four three. Um, that give the kind of structure, specifically when you, when you think about products that you ship. I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, if you've seen any su any surprises like uh, industries that um, maybe weren't originally in scope for this standard that are now interested in it because it provides so much value. Well, you know, you know, I think there's 
several examples in that space. You think about the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and in the medical space, there's an overlay for 62443. Um, buildings is the industry I'm in for HBT, one of our businesses. Um, there's an overlay there. And there's been some great white papers written up that sort of articulate how you can take that standard and make it work in these specific industries. And there's more. Uh, there's several new overlays that are being created now. There's, in fact, there's a draft uh, that we've been working on in terms of just a general one from IoT and IoT that I think is going to be made available in, in really a near future, which again, just takes what is known in the 62443 space and, and helps others sort of understand it in a more comprehensive way that's that's meaningful in, in the language and, and framework that they're used to. That's great to hear from my perspective, at least when I think about all those you know, teams that are forming product security and have to justify you know, why they're setting a program a certain way. And maybe they haven't had the same sort of benchmarks to be able to look at um, that the reach of 62443 is expanding. I think that'll be, like you said, a benefit to everybody. Well, absolutely. And, and frankly, especially in, in smaller companies, you don't have yeah. to go do everything, right? You start with pieces of it, you know, and then build where it makes sense and take advantage of the parts that that's most meaningful. There's layers. We often talk about the you know, in, in a standards world um, in certifications, we talk about bronze, silver, and gold. I also think of it as you have to think about it in how do you introduce yourself into those spaces? And maybe that's more dirt and rust levels. Early adopters, how do you get the basics of it without necessarily having to do all of it? And I think there's, there's a road to that. And I think more and more companies need to understand how to what, what's enough for them to get started and then to get them down the road of, of really full, um, fully being able to embrace it. Because that takes time. It's like any other program that, that you might deploy in your company. Yeah. I, I hope that companies don't aspire to be dirt or rust level, but <laughs> that might be where they start. <laughs> Sounds good. So what about other compliance drivers? You mentioned some of the IoT regulation coming out. What role do you think that they're going to play with respect to shaping product security? Um, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of different um, standards that are being developed out there. Um, but I would say is you got to, if you're in this space, you have to get involved. And as I mentioned earlier, you, you should anticipate more aggressive cyber regulations globally. Um, I know we think about this a lot, and, and, and you can clearly see that the secure development practices we use and our focus on incorporating great security and privacy into our design, into our products, I mean, you can feel it in, in how we deploy and how we deliver. I also think you have to see there's more specialization, I think, that's coming and is already happening in, in cybersecurity standards. A simple one that, that uh, I've seen recently was the auto industry. They've, they've got ISO 21434, I think it is, um, around road vehicles, cybersecurity engineering. Um, I, I believe that's still in draft. I think they're going to be releasing it later this year. It's a, a new IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act is another one to, to think about. Um, that one just got signed in December. There's a lot going on in this space, and I think you've got to be really conscious and engaged, literally, in it um, on a regular basis, because 
it is changing, it is evolving. And, and bottom line, I, I think if you want to stay competitive and relevant in today's world, you, you're gonna have to embrace standards like ISA 62443 or the equivalent in your industry and have a robust cybersecurity program that is really focused on the software and the hardware your company makes. Bottom line, that's the only way you're gonna be successful. Well, it's interesting. You talked about a few industries that are having an overlay on 62443 and that there's sometimes there's equivalence to 62443, but I feel like there's also a bunch of industries that don't just don't have it yet, or at least um, nothing that's quite equivalent. They might have cybersecurity guidance, again, that's more focused on, say, holistic enterprise security. From your perspective, what other industries do you think should be paying more attention to product security? Like maybe they are beginning to, but maybe aren't as advanced as some of the industries you mentioned. That's a good question. Um, there are many, but I'd say first is I'd say get people need to you know, really get engaged. I mean, whatever industry you're in, you, you need to go and get engaged in whatever the cybersecurity um, initiatives that are going on and help drive that. I, I try to get people to think about not just doing what's good enough in my job, but I mean, you have to think locally, act globally and, and start doing things and getting involved, especially in this day and age where there's so much um, change around cyber regulations and standards. Um, a great example I mentioned a little bit earlier is, is the automotive industry um, with ISO 21434. Um, I think that's a really clever and um, standard, and it's really to help you know, the development in the cybersecurity and the risks that you might find in, in, in cars and trucks. And I don't know about you, but especially with autonomous vehicles coming, right? The automotive industry is, is really fast approaching this point where all these cars are all going to need to talk with one another and to share information. A lot of information that perhaps we all hadn't thought about before, but in order to, for us to get that point where we're, we, we have cars chatting with one another on the road, there's a whole new way that's going to have to happen. And I see standards like this, this brand new one that's coming out as being a great example where you're going to have to not only be thoughtful about what's today, but way off into the future. And to me, this is an, a great example where car makers and their supply chain should be flocking to that if they aren't already. And there's just so much energy in that space in terms of where governments want to go, where people want to have this technology because they want to have autonomous driving. That personally is one of the hot topic is, is we all want to be able to make that uh, drive to our office a little bit safer. And, and, and this is a, a, a standard personally I'm, I'm watching very closely because I think it has some huge potential uh, and up chain um, opportunities for, for industries um, to think about that subtlety between the vehicles and, and two distinct unknown parties. And I think that's going to be very clever and very interesting over the coming couple of years. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I'm watching that too and seeing if that's, uh, that starts to kick off a trend. Like you mentioned, it's not just the automotive manufacturers, the names we all know, but all the, the entire supply chain that uh, needs to think about that. And I'm true, true in lots of industries. And what strikes me and from my perspective on this is, for example, if I think about healthcare broadly, not necessarily specifically medical devices, 
there's quite stringent, I'd say, laws such as HIPAA, uh, HIPAA High Tech Act um, that uh, help to guide programs. But again, there's often a, a very specific perspective on enterprise security. And they tend, to, a lot of these laws and standards tend to try not to be prescriptive so that they can withstand changes in time and technology. Um, but what we'll often find in practice is maybe less emphasis on things like you know, integrating security in, in healthcare software, as people might expect. And that, this is one of the things that I, I hope to see is as we see 62443, you see what's happening in the automotive industry, you, you see what's happening in the payment industry, that things like healthcare, energy, utility, some of the other, I'll say, you know, critical infrastructure, um, not so much the products or devices, but the utilities, let's say, uh, even oil and gas are taking the cue from what they're seeing in maybe the more leading industries, um, and that we'll see more emphasis on product security, especially the software providers that sell into those companies, and, and many of them are completely not regulated. They, they go through vendor risk assessments with their customers, um, but they don't necessarily have to comply the same way. Uh, so this is, like I said, something I think that's ripe for, um, I'll say innovation. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think um, supply chain risk is is a big one. And, and I think it's, it's harder for companies to, to deal with because of the multi-tenancy, the, the complexity of, of many different vendors and those vendors having vendors of their own and, yeah. and just that larger thing that you, this, the, the consumer, you know, which you yourself may be a vendor of, right? right. And you know, I, I think there is a lot of energy right now from a regulation and standards um, especially right now because of some of the things that have happened recently. And I, I think it's, it's going to require um, some very holistic, thoughtful decisions. And it, it's going to require some technology that perhaps people haven't been, been as focused on. Things like software build materials to, hey, how do we ensure that some third-party suppliers are, are thinking about this. Um, and to some extent, you're starting to see elements of that on the federal space, especially with uh, CMMC and you know, how they're driving, um, trying to sort of make a very set of baselines to say, hey, you have to be this tall to play um, in these environments. And, and starting with these levels of, of um, established minimums, and then I think you're going to see, you know, here again, the, the federal government's probably going to have the equivalent at a product level. And so these things, again, are, are, are evolving. And especially when I think about standards, my team right now is tracking somewhere close to 62 or so different regulations and standards around the globe. Um, and, and it continues to grow in number and, and complexity. A few I, I'd point out and suggest close eye on is includes things like the new IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act right. that just got signed not too long ago, and and what it's going to demand of the of, of NIST in terms of development in the space. Now NIST has done some really great work recently uh, around IoT guidance, and I think more should be looking at adopting it. I'd also suggest if your company is operates. And, and, or impacts the infrastructure, that you, you really think about where your products are being sold. If your products are being sold in other countries, for example, like China, 
hey, you, you need to be thinking about MLPS mm. and, and how that impacts your products. Or for that matter, you, you should be paying attention to what Anissa in Europe is doing around cloud certification scheme. So it's just, there's a lot going on around the globe, Brazil, Japan, uh, other great countries that are just recently drafting or recent release drafts of, of cybersecurity laws and or standards. And you just, if you're in those markets, you better, you, you have to be paying attention to this. You know, at least in my mind, to be successful, you have to think globally and act locally. Many of these standards and regulations have direct impact on the infrastructure you may be using to host or deliver your products. Um, so, so keeping an aware awareness and an engagement is, is sort of absolutely critical. It's table stakes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So it's great insight. Lots of things to look out for, specific standards. I guess thinking to a company that's maybe just getting started with product security, what advice would you give them? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'd say don't just focus on the technology and writing policy, right? I think a lot of people fall back on their sort of technical chops, their skill, which is great, it's important. But I, I, my, my own experience is, yes, you have to have all that, but build the relationships with the development and the business leadership, right? Who and, and wherever they may be, right? And, and, and you got to gain their support and buy-in to both fund the work that you, you're doing and also sustain it. And I think too many times people who are, who are establishing um, these sorts of programs neglect that, right? They're, they're so busy writing, hey, I've got the policy, I've got the technology, and they, they miss that whole building those relationships, and it becomes really hard sell, right? In my mind, it's it's about building that collaborative partnership with the development community as well. You've got to be able to have that relationship with the, in our case, it's engineering uh, software developers and and you in, in, in the cybersecurity community. And, and it should be a, a real partnership, right? A peer community level where I've seen a lot of leaders fails because they only saw this as a game of compliance, right? And, uh, and frankly, this has to be more than a compliance game, right? You, it has to be, this is the difference between bolting it on and baking it in. And to me, that means you have to be part of that process. You know, a key success factor I've benefited personally from is, is always making a point to engage the senior leadership team on their role as stewards of our cyber program. And, and kind of how I think of it is by informing and educating at that level, you're helping them understand the unique role that cybersecurity plays in, in, in making products and systems. That means talking to your legal organization, HR, and, and helping all of those different people understand what you do and, and why their stewardship is important and how they fit into this larger initiative. And, and that way they can really be true stewards of the program. This ensures, in my experience, that you're better equipped to support the program. And, and this actually pays dividends when you talk about budget season, because when, when your whole leadership team and your organization all understands the val and values, the importance of cybersecurity, 
then you're going to start getting funded effectively, resource effectively. And again, it goes right back to the point I made earlier, right? It can't be all about the technology and policy. You got to have that relationship. Does that, does that make sense? It does. It's interesting. It, it, um, makes it challenging to find the right kind of person, I think, to lead a program like this. Because so often, I think you're right, people look for technical prowess, and uh, you need it to be able to build a product security function. But you also need this relationship management, ability to influence. Not many people who fit all those, uh, those criteria. I'm curious from your perspective, how, how you think, let's say an organization that's just starting, uh, if you were to advise a CEO or CTO of a company that was thinking about standing up product security, like what kind of skill sets would, would they look for? That's a great question. Um, I'd say they, there's really three things I think you gotta, gotta find. One is obviously you gotta find somebody who knows the space, right? So, so you have to be technically competent yeah. um, in, in, in this space and understand the difference between, you know, SDLC, right? Software Development Lifecycle, who understands securing that versus securing a server, right? Because um, they're very different practices. The second is leadership. Um, you, you need to have somebody who really understands how to lead that community, how to, how to drive and, and nurture that kind of community and to be successful, right? Um, it, it can't be just, hey, here's I'm turning in my homework and, and get this done. You, you have to lead this. And it's something that then drives you to sort of the third element to me is you got to be able to sell this into your own organization, right? Understand their cadence, the speed at which your business operates and moves and be able to integrate that into a, a meaningful way to the organization. And again, going back to the point about leadership, it also means being able to communicate at a level and, and, and minimizing the complexity of what we do. We, we have all these special words in the cyber community, right? SAS and DAS and things like that, which mean nothing to somebody outside yeah. of it, right? Um, you, you gotta learn to be able to speak in their, the business language. And that's so, so important in terms of what you need to be looking for, for somebody to lead these sorts of roles. Um, and so it really boils down to those really three key elements, right? Technical proudness, your leadership skills and your ability to sell and, and, and get buy-in from your organization. And I think you could kind of reverse engineer that into career guidance for somebody who does want to take on a role like this, where they need to build up their skill sets if they have only some of it, like a lot of technical practitioners who may have the first experience you talked about, um, building leadership skills and building the ability to sell don't always come naturally to people. And they certainly take a specific education and deliberate effort to master. Oh, absolutely. And, and you're dead on. Yeah. Uh, people who want to get into this space, who want to, to lead these spaces, I think you definitely want to look at these three characteristics and, and where you, you should be thinking about how can you grow yourself to embrace this or to build on those key areas. You should. Mentorship. There's numerous mentorships out there that will will help um, even within your own business. I'm sure that there are mentors. Um, and again, ISA GCA is another community. Become part of that community. Get involved, and you'd be surprised how many people you can find in those environments that will help 
one another grow any one of these three key characteristics. That's great advice. And hopefully one day we'll all be able to meet at, you know, conferences <laughs> again. And you can yes, do something to face. Forward to that myself. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been quite insightful, Matt. I really appreciate it. Is, is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know? Yeah. The, the, the one thing I would say is lean in and really drive your, your cyber, your product cybersecurity program uh, strategically and, and really focus on that partnership with the development leadership while always being conscientious of the cadence of the business you're supporting. Different businesses have different regulators, different industry standards, which may impact their speed or adoption, right? And you got to be conscious of that. And I think uh, one of the other, the sort of last sort of takeaways is that it, it's very easy to get frustrated because you're, oh, well, they're not moving as fast as I would like them to move. And the reality is there's, there's a lot of factors that go into this. And you, you need to be listening to those factors and understand that and, and then drive and keep the right uh, tempo with your business to really drive this with the right level of intensity and integrate that into the, the business thinking of, of your company. Um, it's all part of that whole solution that, that you want to drive. And that's my whole point is, is really drive it as a solution, as part of your company's solution. Awesome. Well, I think that's great guidance. I think anybody who's new or quite frankly, even experienced in product security probably walked away with a lot of great uh, tips here. So thanks again for joining Matt. You bet. Happy to help. And as I always say, cybersecurity is a team sport. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye-bye. Want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer? Check out securitycompass.com slash demo for a free demo today. Want more of The Balancing Act? Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes.